This is the Leading Second Podcast, where we're on a mission to equip local churches everywhere to raise up uncommon leaders. The Leading Second Podcast releases every Thursday morning. So hit follow and share this episode with your team. Now let's jump into another episode for all of us who lead from the middle, from the second chair for the second chair. Hey, welcome back to the Leading Second podcast. My name is Clark. I'm one of the team members here at Leading Second, and I'm so glad you've joined us today because we have another great conversation. And joining us today is Greg Bosch from Elevation Church. I know episodes like these are so helpful for many of us who lead in that tension of leading in the middle. So very excited to share today's episode. But before we jump into the interview, we have a top five list from Joseph Kelly. We're going to hear the top five prayers every leader should be praying. So here we go. What's going on, everybody? My name is Joseph Kelly. I get the privilege to serve as the associate pastor at Discovery Church in Oklahoma City. And today, I am super pumped to be able to share with you the five prayers that every leader should be praying. The prayers that you need to be praying right now, today, for your life and your family and your ministry. And I hope that these help you today. So let's just jump right in. Number one, five prayers that every leader should be praying, search me. Psalm 139 and 23 says, search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. We need to be praying this prayer of search me to ask God to reveal anything that he is not pleased with. Ask God to point out the areas of our life where we are not right with God. Our thoughts and our feelings can be a minefield of traps that will limit our faith, distract our focus, and open doors to temptations and strongholds in our life. So we must be constantly praying, God, search me. The second prayer that I believe that every leader should pray is, God, break me. Now, this is a messy prayer, and I know we've all heard at some point in a sermon to be careful of what you pray for. But, you know, we love the image of God as our deliverer, our redeemer. We love the idea that God will set us free from every oppression, every sin, every struggle. But this prayer becomes very messy when the thing that I need to be free from most is me. Sometimes the greatest obstacle that we must overcome to be the man and woman, the leader that God has called us to be, is to overcome ourselves. James 3 and 16 says, For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you will find disorder and every evil practice. We need to be praying prayers of God, search me. But more than that, 
God, break me. Break me of the me that I don't want to be and mold me into who you desire that I become. So we've got search me, break me, and number three, God, stretch me. Psalm 119.32 says, I shall run the way of your commandments, for you will enlarge my heart. This is the kind of prayer that we must be praying when we desire to grow up spiritually, to go to greater levels, greater responsibility, greater depths of our relationship with God and our leadership. When the first century believers prayed for greater boldness, instead of asking God to just take away their problems and persecution, they were praying prayers of God, stretch me. Number four, we need to be praying, God, teach me. One of the greatest attributes, I believe, of a spirit-filled leader is that they are teachable and not just teachable to their authority, not just teachable to their, their senior pastor, but are you teachable to the Holy Spirit? An attitude that is teachable far outweighs your talent every single time. And asking the Holy Spirit to teach you requires a humility that we must possess as second chair leaders saying, I don't have the answers, but God, I know you do. Psalm 86 says that as the Holy Spirit teaches us that he will unite our heart and our soul. And we know as leaders in the church today that unity is vitally important in everything that we do. Number five, last one is this, God lead me. Ask God to take our lives and do whatever he wants with them, to live life with an open hand. And we must believe, not just saying it with our mouth, but we must believe with our heart and our mind that his plans are truly better than our own. His ways are higher than ours. His thoughts are higher than ours. And the Spirit gives us direction that we cannot give ourselves. One of my most favorite passages of scripture is Joshua chapter three, when he's just taken leadership of the nation of Israel and God tells him to send the Ark of the Covenant out in front of him because you have never been this way before. What is he saying? He's saying you are traveling into uncharted territory and you need my spirit to lead you into this new season. How do I get direction? I pray God lead me prayers. I hope that this has helped you and encouraged you today and given you some handles to be intentional in your prayers as a leader. God bless you. Have a great rest of your day. I'm excited to welcome to the podcast today a great friend of mine and a great friend of Leading Second, Greg Bosch. Greg is the campus leadership pastor at Elevation Church. He has a brilliant leadership mind, a brilliant leadership voice. He coaches leaders. He coaches campus pastors. You're going to love what he has to say. And to give you a roadmap for where we're going to go in this conversation, we're going to get to know Greg. I'm going to turn him loose for 10 minutes on his favorite leadership lesson. And then we're going to have a great conversation today on being faithful in your calling. I know this is going to help you today. Uh, stay with us till the end. Without further ado, here is my conversation with Greg Bosch. Well, hey, I am joined today by my friend Greg Bosch from Elevation Church. Say what's up to everybody, Greg. 
What's up, everybody on Leading Second? So good to be here. Hey, I'm so glad you're here. I couldn't wait to talk with you today. Uh, I love you. I love what God's uh, doing through you. Uh, we love your house. Uh, we love your pastor. So much goodness, man. So just thank you for all that you're doing for the body of Christ. Thank you for all that you're doing for your church. Uh, I know that it's making a huge difference. Yeah, thank you. It's such an honor to be a part of the podcast today. You guys are are making a big difference yourselves. Well, I remember when the when you and I uh, sat down and talked for the first time, it was like the, one of those moments where the conversation just gets flowing and you realize, oh man, there's actually someone else out there that thinks the way that I think about stuff. And man, I just love how you carry uh, the spirit and the DNA of what it means to lead second at your church. And maybe tell everybody about your role and, and what you do at Elevation Church. Yeah, so my title is uh, Campus Leadership Pastor. So to put it simply, um, I lead and oversee our campuses and campus pastors at Elevation. So we have around 20 campuses um, and uh, trying to trying to figure out ministry in 2022, just like everybody else is. Uh, but it's it's been, <laughs> um, you know, a wild adventure and God is continuing to move and show up all the time and, and, you know, surprise us and blow our minds with the ways that he can move. And uh, so it's really cool what what I get to do. Well, you guys have been such a blessing, I know, to our family, to so many during the pandemic here. So thanks for all that you guys are doing, even when it's not been easy. It has been well appreciated. So this season on the podcast, Greg, we're kind of coming at it from this angle of from the second chair for the second chair. In other words, we thought we would just bring on to the podcast some of the very, very best uh, second chair leaders that we know in the body of Christ and have some really good conversations. But before we get to like the heavy stuff and the real stuff, um, I have some questions for you that we're asking everybody, uh, this season on the podcast. And my first question for you is what was it like the day that you felt called into ministry? Like, how did you get your start in ministry? And I love your story on this, by the way. Yeah. I mean, it's a great question. And honestly, I don't know if there's one day or one moment that I can point back to. Um, I didn't have like a, a burning bush moment where God told me to work at elevation or anything like that. Honestly, for me, it was, um, you know, it felt like just a response to what God was doing in my own life, uh, my family's life in our city, um, you know, in Charlotte, North Carolina, which is where I mostly grew up, um, you know, fun fact, Elevation Church, when it first started, uh, was meeting in my high school while I was a high school student. So that's how I oh, kind of found out about everything and started coming to the church. And, um, at the time, honestly, I didn't have much interest in church, didn't have much interest in having a relationship with God, but coming to Elevation was just such a, you know, life-changing experience for me. And mm. it really opened my heart to allow God in and uh just seeing the way that god moved in my life the way that he transformed my family i mean my my dad and my brother were both baptized at elevation i was baptized at elevation he's just done so many just unbelievable things in, in our home mm. um and because of that i just had this overwhelming desire to be a part more and more of the thing that yep. had affected us so so meaningfully and so for me, I don't know if I, if I could say I ever felt like a super clear calling into ministry. I don't know if I ever really even felt called to be a pastor. I just felt like I needed to be a part of this thing that was, that felt so alive where it felt like it was so evident that God was moving. And, uh, the way I got started, uh, when I was in college, actually, I connected with a guy 
who was on staff at the time named Stephen Webb, who's a, a great leader and a, a great mentor of mine, who kind of pulled me in and he said, hey, you're coming with me. We're going to uh, start reaching some college kids together. And so uh, I was attending Christopher Newport University in Virginia and uh, actually started an extension site, which is like kind of a mini volunteer led version of an elevation yep. campus and uh, saw saw God just breathe on that. And we had uh, I mean, we baptized college kids right in the middle of our college campus. And I think we saw over 100 uh, college students give their lives to Christ over the few years that we were doing that. So uh, that was really how I got started. And then a couple couple years later, I ended up actually coming on staff at Elevation. That's awesome. And uh, I, I love what you said about calling. And I don't mean to get into our interview too quick here because uh, we got a lot to talk about today. But I, I, I can't think of a more perfect answer because I think sometimes people make this calling thing like way more mysterious than it needs to be. And I, th I think obedience is a big factor in it. So, okay, just teaser, like we're going to get there and just submit it. Uh, what do you love most about your church? I think the thing I love most about our church, and there's so many things I, I could say for this, but it, it was part of the reason why I was so captivated early on is at Elevation, we've always had such a almost unapologetic culture of participation. And what I mean mm -hmm. by that is, um, we don't have membership classes. We don't ask you to go through a seven step discipleship experience before you can jump in and serve and be a part of what God is doing. And I've always loved that because I think it's so, I think it's so true to the way that Jesus led. Uh, he, uh, he called out his disciples, he brought them into the ministry and he taught them along the way. Hmm. I, I think if I, if I hadn't felt like I had an opportunity to be a part of it early on, I don't know if I ever would have been, we've always just been pretty direct about saying, Hey, we want you to be a part of this. And there's a role for everyone to play. And you don't have to wait until you've memorized the Bible before God can use you in our church. It's so good, man. Uh, are you a morning person or a night owl? I, I have spent my whole adult life trying to become a morning person. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I'm so jealous of, of people that can wake up at 5am and, you know, run seven miles and read, read half the Bible before breakfast. And it's still a journey for me. Uh, having a daughter has certainly, um, uh, accelerated that process for me. So I'm more of a morning person than I've ever been, Right. but I think naturally I, I certainly would lean towards more of a night owl. That's funny. Hey, you, you ought to pray for me. So this week, my wife is going out of town uh, for the first time since we are parents of two. And so I have a full week this week and I'm single dadding it. And you ought to just pray and fast over here because I'm going to be up at like 4 a.m. just to <laughs> be able to take a shower. You're going to do great. <laughs> just if you need someone to pray for it right here. Okay. What is an influential podcast or book? in your life, something that's impacted your leadership journey? Uh, I'll give you two books real quick. They, I read them both back in 2017, I think, and uh, they changed my life. Uh, one is called Essentialism by Greg McEwen, Essentialism mm. by Greg McEwen. Um, and the whole kind of theme of the book is, is helping you understand what is your essential contribution to the world? And then how can you form your life in such a way where you're eliminating all the rest and focusing on the essential thing that that's mm. in you to bring into the world. Um, and then the other one, which the same author, Greg McEwen is actually, uh, I think co-author of is multipliers 
by Liz Wise. Yeah, great book. And um, it's not a Christian book, but I've recommended that book to probably everyone in ministry I've ever talked to because I feel like it's such a such a great um, kind of encapsulation of what good leadership ought to look like. And the whole theme of it, the yeah. whole point is that good leadership makes the people around you better. So I'd recommend those two books to anybody. Yeah, it's that I've read the second one. Such a good book. Uh, what are you doing? Last question. What are you doing to stay fresh and agile as a leader right now in this season? I, I'm trying to eliminate and limit. <laughs> so I mm. think a lot of times we're looking for the next thing to add to our life or the next thing to consume that's going to help us. And that's all good. And I love to read and I love to learn and all of that I think is wonderful. But I think what I'm realizing now is um, sometimes the way that we grow ourselves and the ways that we stay fresh and stay open is to take inventory of all the things that are in our life mm. and identifying the things that need to be eliminated or the things that need to be limited. So simply as, you know, limiting social media consumption, uh, limiting how much, you know, TV you're sitting down and watching, um, limiting what you're kind of giving your attention to so that you can be giving your attention to, to the right thing. So I think for me, it's less adding things and more kind of taking inventory of what I can uh, eliminate. Beautiful. I love it. I love it. Hey, so for our first segment, with uh, you on the podcast today, I wanted to set you loose for a couple minutes for a, a quick leadership teaching. I'm going to be asking guests regularly this year, like, give us your favorite leadership lessons. So would you just like, like drop it on us here? Like you're talking to a room of a thousand leaders right now. Um, like, 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 what would you say to us? What's your favorite leadership lesson right now? Wow. No pressure. I mean, that's a pretty, that's a pretty substantial setup right there. I, um, I do have something that, that I'm excited to share. And uh, I actually got to share this with the leading second team a month or so ago, um, which is really cool and, and really gratifying. It comes from a moment I had with God early on in the pandemic. So those first couple of months of kind of worldwide lockdowns and everything where we're all going crazy, stuck at home and Right. Um, I remember reading my Bible um, in my backyard and God led me to this chapter in uh, Judges chapter nine that I had never really, I'm sure I'd read it before, but it never really stuck out to me. And there was something about it that really grabbed me that day. And the reason it was powerful and the reason I think it, it helps us see a, an important principle is because I was in a season at the time of um, really stepping into a lot more responsibility within the church and within my role on staff. And every time I've stepped to a different level of responsibility or a different level of leadership, I've realized that as, as great as all of that is there, there comes these increasing levels of pressure to conform or pressure to people, please, or, um, pressure to honestly, like forfeit our own convictions in order to, um, protect our position. And I really felt that tension really strongly at the time. And so what God kind of spoke to me through this passage was exactly what I needed. And I feel like it's become a little bit of a, of a, um, you know, a life message for me to help other people understand. So I'll just kind of summarize the backstory very briefly in judges chapter eight, um, Gideon, who's the famous judge, who, you know, uh, saves Israel from the Midianites. He has the, he's the original 300 story. Uh, he's this incredible hero who rises up against his own insecurities to save the nation. Uh, well, he comes to the end of his life 
and the people of Israel are asking him to rule over them as king. And his response is, I will not rule over you, nor will my son rule over you. The Lord will rule over you. And then he dies and he leaves 70 sons behind. He leaves 70 sons behind after he's gone. Uh, and just like we see the same cycle over and over on repeat in the book of Judges, uh, as soon as the last judge who redeemed Israel uh, passes away very quickly, the people, they forsake God, they begin to fall away into idol worship once again, and they did not remember the Lord, their God. So that's the backstory. And then jumping into Judges 9, uh, like we said, Gideon had 70 sons. So one of his 70 sons was a guy named Abimelech. And Abimelech gets this, um, this hunger for power. And he has these aspirations that he's going to rule over the people, uh, which is so interesting because it was Gideon himself who said, I will not rule over you, nor will my son. And here we are. Mm. One of his sons has this hunger to, to rule over the people and to do it by force. And so he goes on this mission to kind of convince the people around him, hey, wouldn't it be better if you had a king? Wouldn't it be better if I ruled over you? And in order to get what he wants, he actually murders all his brothers. So there's this terrible, violent moment at the beginning of Judges 9 where uh, Abimelech rounds up all of his brothers and murders them all so that he can have the, the only opportunity to rule over the people. But one brother escapes, right? The youngest brother, his name is Jotham. So Jotham is the only brother who escapes away from, from Abimelech's kind of rampage. And so Abimelech installs himself as king by force. And then there's this really cool moment where in uh, verse seven of Judges chapter nine, it says, when Jotham was told about this, he climbed up on top of Mount Gerizim and he shouted to the people, listen to me, citizens of Shechem, so that, the, so that God may listen to you. And what comes next is known as uh, Jotham's fable or Jotham's curse. And so he tells what's really kind of a parable to the people as a way of convicting them about what they've done and what they've just allowed to happen. So I'm going to read this fable and then we'll talk a little bit about what we can learn from it. It starts like this in, in verse eight. He says, one day the trees went out to anoint a king for themselves. They said to the olive tree, be our king. But the olive tree answered, should I give up my oil by which both gods and humans are honored to hold sway over the trees? Next, the trees went to the fig tree. And they said, come and be our king. But the fig tree replied, should I give up my fruit so good and sweet to hold sway over the trees? Then the tree said to the vine, come and be our king. But the vine answered, should I give up my wine, which cheers both gods and humans to hold sway over the trees? Finally, all the trees, after they've gone through all their options and they're desperate, they said to the thorn bush, come and be our king. And the thorn bush said to the trees, if you really want to anoint me king over you, come and take, take refuge in my shade. But if not, then let fire come out of the thorn bush and consume the cedars of Lebanon. And so their, their first, second, and third options for king all declined the opportunity. And it was the thorn bush who finally accepted the opportunity to be king. And it's so interesting that in the same moment the thorn bush is accepting this opportunity, it, it is immediately threatening the people with violence. And I think there's something very interesting there because I think if we're, if we just kind of observe the way that we, um, the way that we respond to power as humans is, 
if you're hungry for power, if you're seeking power, if you're striving after it, the moment you get it, you have to begin to protect it. And that's what we mm. see happen from this thorn bush. But here, here's what really kind of spoke to me and convicted me about this chapter is that every single one of the trees that they went to, the olive tree, the fig tree, the vine, each of them in their own turn, they declined the opportunity for a position to rule over the trees, for a, for a platform, for more power, for a promotion, honestly, because it would re require them to forfeit the unique thing that God gave them to give mm. to the world. They mm. said, I can't become king because it would, it would require me to stop producing the fruit that God gave me to give to wow. the world. And it was the thorn bush, the only one of all the trees that they talked to, the one who produced nothing of value was the mm. one who accepted the position. The one who produced nothing of value is the one who accepted the position. And mm. the story ends. I don't know if it's, if it's predictable, but if you read on the rest of Judges 9, it does not go well for Abimelech. It does not go well for the people. Eventually, they turn on each other. Eventually, they devour each other. Abimelech dies, and he actually destroys the city that he has just <coughs> taken over responsibility of leading. They, they, they devour one another in their pursuit of power. What's interesting, though, is um, when you read through the, you know, most of the versions of the story, the, the trees will say, should I give up my oil by which go both gods and humans are honored to hold sway over the trees, which means promoted. So some of the versions will mm. say, should I give up my oil to be promoted to rule over the wow. trees? But if you go and read the message version, which is always just interesting to see how it compares, the message version actually, instead of using the word promoted, uses the word demoted instead of mm. promoted it says demoted wow and i think that's so fascinating and so um so interesting for us to look at because any promotion that is in conflict with producing the fruit that god designed me to produce is actually a demotion it is possible mm. that a promotion in the eyes of people or a promotion in the eyes of the trees in the in terms of this fable could actually be a demotion with regards to my purpose and my calling and the reason I'm here on earth. And so what I would maybe challenge leaders to do is really, first of all, take, take inventory and look inward at, um, you know, our motivations. Uh, I don't think power is a bad thing. I don't think having a platform is a bad thing. I think it's bad when we have, um, an unhealthy desire or an unhealthy hunger for those things that cause us to forfeit our convictions, that cause us to forfeit our fruit. It's not bad to have them, but it's bad to need them. And it's bad to have to protect them. Wow. There it is. Uh, I think yeah. the best leaders are the ones who step into power, sometimes reluctantly, and are very open-handed to also give it away. I think that's what good leadership looks like, is giving opportunity mm. away, giving authority away, giving power away. But I also think as leaders, it's our responsibility to, to begin to wrestle with God and ask the question, what is the fruit that God has given me to give to the world? Um, if you go back to the creation story in Genesis, uh, Genesis 1 verse 11, then God said, let the land produce vegetation, seed bearing plants and trees on the land that bear fruit with seed in it, according to their various kinds, right? According to their various kinds, each unique plant, each unique tree had a specific 
kind, it had a specific reason, it had a specific purpose and a specific fruit that it was put there to produce. And that's part of the reason why I like to recommend the book Essentialism, because it will take you on this journey of asking the question, what is my essential contribution to the world? What did God put me here for? And I'm going to be honest, um, we will probably spend our whole lives um, bringing that into focus. We will probably spend our whole lives discovering that more and more deeply. So I would be careful not to rush too quickly to a conclusion or or get to a point when you're, you know, 27 and believe that you, you have your whole destiny figured out and you, you know, you, we want to continue to keep those things open-handed and keep our hearts open because God can speak to us in new ways and he can, he can upgrade and update our understanding of what our contribution in the world is and what our fruit is, but it's a worthy pursuit nonetheless to, to always be asking that question of God. So when I think about leadership, to, to continue down the path of using this kind of tree analogy. Um, I think about when a tree comes into maturity, when a, when a fruit bearing tree comes into maturity, there's a, there's a time when the tree is first planted where it's only job, it's only responsibility. It's only expectation is to simply grow in and of itself. It needs to grow taller. It needs to grow deeper. It needs to go wider. But when that tree comes to maturity, um, its responsibility in the world shifts and it's no longer about growing taller in and of itself, but now it has an expectation of bearing fruit beyond itself. And I think the same is true of us as leaders is, is we are all being brought down this pathway of more maturing, of stepping into a place of maturity. And as we do that, you know that you're maturing when your desires and your motivations are shifting from elevating yourself to producing fruit that blesses other people. And to go back to the, uh, the fable for one second, the first tree, their first choice was the olive tree. It's a good choice. Olive trees are great. And, um, they went to the olive tree and the olive tree said, should I give up my oil by which both gods and humans are honored to hold sway over the trees? What's so interesting about that is that the oil that the olive tree would have produced is the same oil that would have been used for a lot of different purposes. But one of its most uh, significant purposes is the oil is what was used to anoint people when they were placed into the position of being king. So if you think about Samuel, when he goes to anoint David, when he goes to anoint Samuel, he's bringing oil with him. And so the olive tree says, I cannot become king because my responsibility is to produce oil Mm. that will anoint kings. Mm. To me, that's such a beautiful picture of what mature leadership looks like is understanding that it's not about me always going higher. It's not about me always getting another promotion. It's not about me always going to another level or having a greater platform. It's understanding that God gave me something to bless others. Last thing I'll say, and we could move on from this. I don't know if I'm beating up the the agriculture analogy, but God has spoken to me so much (laughs) through this is we talk about producing, producing fruit. Uh, but if you look at that word produce, it's actually, uh, in our language, <laughs> it's the same word for the noun and for the verb. So right. you can produce something, which is the verb. And what do you produce? It's produce. Fruit is produce. When you go to the grocery store, you're looking for produce. It's my favorite section of the store. How interesting is that, that the process has the same word as the result. Mm. The rhythm has the same word as the reward. And that right there to me is the picture of maturity. Mm. 
I'm secure in my purpose. I'm mature in my purpose when fulfilling my purpose is itself all the validation I need to carry out what God has given me to give to the world. So that's my mini, mini thought on Judges chapter nine. And I would encourage everybody to go read that and wrestle with it a little bit and see what God might, might show you about your fruit. Awesome. Beautiful. Well said. And I remember your pastor one time teaching saying, you know, to understand the Bible, you know, it's, it's a challenge because these are agricultural analogies and we live in an app based world. And, and oftentimes those two are very incongruent. So, so you got us perfectly into what I wanted to talk about today in that I want to wrap up our time together and talk about the word calling and, and I feel like it's a mysterious word. I feel like it's a church speak word. Like you have to have been around church for a while to kind of understand this or ministry. And I think it's tragic that it's misunderstood. And I love that you kind of see this the way that I do. So I'm just going to lobby a few questions on this today. What does it mean when someone says they are called into ministry? We hear that phrase a lot. And I'll get in a minute to why I think this is important. But start us there. Like, what does it mean when someone says, I I feel called into ministry? Well, I think part of the problem is that uh, I don't know if everybody means the same thing when they say it. (laughs) (laughs) Right. I think what we often mean is we feel that there's been a specific direction or command from God to do something. I think that would be the simplest way to describe what we what we're trying to say when we say the word calling. And uh, I wouldn't for a second. Um you know, discredit that or say that that doesn't happen in people. It it does. Um, I think what's important to understand when we talk about calling specifically into ministry though, is that if, if you're a believer, if you follow Jesus, then you're already called. And as much as I, I love the church and I love what God is doing through your church and through my church and through so many amazing churches in our country and in our world. Um, I think we've got to really be careful about drawing this division between people who work at churches, people who are right. in vocational ministry with the responsibility that honestly we all have as the church, that's right. Big C church to advance the gospel, to, to help reach people for Jesus, to make a difference in the world. I think we're all called. And, uh, and if we miss that, then, then people are going to spend their lives feeling like it's only a pastor's job to reach the world. And that would be, that would be a sad reality. You're already. Yep. And, and, and I think it's also important why we have to talk about this. Um, because I think people can feel like, and spend their entire time in ministry feeling like they're missing something like they're, they're missing out on the, the, the calling when, when in reality, I think, uh, going back to your like nouns and verbs thing, I feel like my call into ministry was, was some, was like a noun. It was like something I was supposed to do for, for Jesus, you know, and, and maybe that's, maybe there's some application there. But if you think about the word calling, the word calling is an invitation. 
you know, the, the word, the word calling is a, is a call that you receive from someone else to participate in, in life with the person calling you. And, uh, in reality, our, our calling starts with this idea that we are called out of the world and we are called into right standing with God. Like we are called back to original intent and called to receive our true identity, which are sons and daughters of Christ. And, and so, so the calling isn't like something we go and do for God primarily. It's, it's this drawing us to the heart of God. And which of course we all know out of that flows great service and great work. And I, but I feel like this is like a mysterious concept. And I think the, the other reason that it was important to me that we talk about this today is, um, in my toughest moments, where I have had to go back to is my calling. Like the moments where ministry got confusing and the moments where ministry got tough, the moments where my role was changing, the moments where my responsibility was changing and it felt like a little bit of a, you know, knock on the old pride, you know, I I had to go back to my calling. And thankfully, I feel like I have an anchor, a strong anchor in my calling, but I've seen those that don't. I've seen them drift in moments that God was calling us to endure. And so I think it's important we have this conversation. Um, I love that you use the word uh, anchor because that, that's literally the word that was coming to my mind as you were speaking. And um, I, I think you just touched on something that's so important is you just described your calling as an anchor that you were able mm-hmm. to come back to in hard yes. seasons to help you uh, get through hardship and to help you work through confusion or disillusionment or struggle or whatever it is. I think what we're seeing sometimes is that calling, um, it can become an excuse to escape hardship. Right. And we will use the word calling to label what is actually deep down our, our own desire, our own preference. And, um, and it's almost like you described it as an anchor that keeps you in something and my fear is that sometimes if we're not careful, we'll use calling as like an, an escape ladder to get out of something. Mm. And not to say that God doesn't call us out of things or call us into right. things either. But I think one of the one of the the biggest things that we need to kind of come back to and understand in our generation is that when when God calls people, and you can see this all over scripture, when God calls someone, he almost never calls them into a a comfortable place. (laughs) Right. Right. He almost never calls them into, uh, you know, uh, an easy life more often than not. In fact, almost every time, I don't know if there's a a different example, uh, when God called somebody, he was calling them into suffering. He was calling Mm. them to, into a really Mm. challenging place. And that's, that's a very, um, intimidating thing to realize. Uh, but to your point, it's the understanding that if God has given me a calling, then he's also going to keep me as I walk out that calling. He's going to provide yep. for me and he's going to yep. walk with me along the way. Let's, let's talk about another way that, that people use, or I would say misuse their calling is, um, you, you mentioned escape hatch. That's brilliant. I think we also use it as a trump card and the minute something gets tough, the minute our, pastor asks us to do something we don't want to do or you know the the environment becomes less than perfect or something we move the god said card up 
you know, and we use it as like this trump card to get out of the the place that God has planted us, right? And um, I think we should be open to transition. I think that most of us will have a couple, you know, really big, solid transitions in our life. Uh, I know I, I go around everywhere telling people I've been a part of the same church for like 40 years, you know, and that's true. I do recognize that's an anomaly. Like I do recognize that I I use that as a way to tell people you can you can go a lot further than you think you can, you know. But um, I do realize that's that's unique. At the same time, though, I think especially in our our transient society right now. Um, we see too much transition and too many movements around where leaders look more like they are adrift than anchored. And it's because we keep this like Trump card in our back pocket, in our wallet, you know, and it's like, you know, if the moment the environment gets tough, I'm going to say, well, God's calling me to do this, you know, and I, I guess sometimes I just have question marks. I'm not God. I wasn't there, but I end up with question marks. You can't question someone the moment they they put God's signature on their decision. And right. the challenge with that is when we're in the context of a local church or even in a, you know, just a community of a friendship, um, the moment you blame God or give God credit for what you want to do, uh, it it excuses you from any opportunity of wise counsel. Right. And that's, that's why I would, I would strongly caution people to be very careful with what we call our call to not um, throw that word around flippantly. I do think that God calls his people and we'll talk more about how he does that and what that looks like. Uh, I hope, I hope we'll get there. Um, But I would, I would say, let's be careful with that. Let's, that's a weighty thing to talk about. That's a weighty thing to label. And when we do it, we better be sure <laughs> and we better take it seriously. And, uh, and what we don't want to do is put ourselves in places where, um, we're allowing kind of our, our own desires or quite frankly, sometimes what the world is telling us or what Instagram is telling you, your life ought to look like. We're not letting that lead us more than that anchor that ought to be on our souls right. of what God has planted us here for. Right. And I've said this on the podcast before. I'm going to say it again. I'm sure um, many listening to this wouldn't have heard it there. Uh, I kind of see calling as having two parts. Um, and this is just more like a an application of scripture rather than being explicitly stated in scripture. I sort of see calling for all of us as individuals as having a primary calling and then what I would call an individual calling. I think there are things that are universal to the calling of God on every Christ follower. I think we are all called to be planted in the house of God. I think we are all called to be honoring of and submitted under godly authority in our lives. I think we are all called, you know, to, to love Jesus and to love others. You know, I think, I think there, there are, there are aspects to our calling that are, um, that are universal and those would be our primary calling. Individual calling would maybe would be seasonal or um, maybe be built around specific environments where God, I think I, I felt called to start leading second. You know, I, I felt called by God. God arranged a unique series of events. It was a calling me out into a step of 
faith to create a space that didn't exist for a group of people I felt were underserved. I mean, I there was a definite calling. However, my individual calling had to stay submitted to my primary calling. And and to this day, I enjoy a beautiful relationship with my pastor around leading second and around what God has asked us to do. It is tucked up under authority. the, The vision that we have is planted in the local church. And so it's like under the primary calling, the individual calling can totally flourish and can, can come to full maturity. I, I shudder if I think about what would have happened if I would have gotten those two out of order and my individual calling would have taken rank. And, um, I don't think we'd have near the blessing. I don't think we'd have near the anointing, the resources, you know, the favor, any of it. Um, if we would have got the order wrong, the calling of God on my life and our lives, it was, I don't mean just keep using us as an example, but it was real. It was, it was there, but I'm really proud that we kept it in order compared to our primary calling. Yeah, well, let me uh, pause for a second and, and just say uh, I'm really grateful that you have been faithful in, in following that calling. And I, I can speak for, I think, all the listeners and so many more that have been impacted by uh, your faithfulness in this ministry that's made such a difference in, in the lives of so many church leaders. So thank you for that. Uh, but you're right. Uh, there are certain things you don't need to pray about because God has already been clear on it. Loving your neighbor is one of them. <laughs> the great commandment is one of them. The great, uh, the great commission is one of them. Uh, so I, I would certainly agree that there is a, a primary overarching uh, calling for all of us as the church. And then there are sometimes these more specific assignments that God brings us. Another way I would say it is if you really want to study the, the subject of calling in the Bible, you'll see that... Um, in the Bible, calling is is always corporate and sometimes individual. Mm. Oh, it's always corporate and it's sometimes individual. What I mean by that is, let's take Moses as an example. So we read the story of Moses, great leader, leads God's people out of Egypt. He has this burning bush moment. He goes and meets right. with God on the mountaintop. He receives these very specific um, individual assignments and directions and calling from God. But what about the rest of the nation. (laughs) Hmm. I think when we read Moses story, we always like to put ourselves in Moses shoes. And we always like to assume that because Moses was called like this, then that means that I will be too. And so I think we have a lot of leaders who are waiting to, to stumble across a burning bush and they are, um, leaving aside kind of a greater calling that's equally as important. And so we, we see that God spoke directly to Moses. He gave him a very clear and specific assignment, but he didn't speak. At least we don't have any, any reason to believe that he spoke in the same way to the rest of the nation. They Mm. just had to follow what God was doing. They had to follow what God had previously spoken. They had to follow what God spoke through Moses. And that is the kind of greater corporate calling. And so I think that's part of what you're saying in terms of primary calling is that there, there are very clear uh, directions. There's a very clear path that Jesus has demonstrated to us, the right. ways of Jesus that we ought to follow as we live our lives. And if that's all we ever do, and if we never do have a burning bush moment, we could still live a very faithful right. and very fruitful right. life that glorifies God and makes a big, big difference. Wow. Well said, man. So before we land the plane, I want to have you talk for just a minute 
on uh, something I saw you write the other day, three words that define faithfulness to your calling. I, I felt like that was what I wanted to communicate in this episode is that you can be faithful and be found faithful to what God has called you to do. Um, how would you define faithfulness to your calling? How would I define faithfulness to our calling? I think, I think a word that we ought to make more popular and, and start talking about more, maybe even than we talk about this big, sexy subject of calling is, um, responding, mm. responding. Um, there was a transition that happened after Jesus went up, went up to heaven where the Holy spirit was imparted to his people. And, um, and things changed at that moment where no longer did we need to follow a prophet, a singular person who went up on a mountain and heard from God, but we had, uh, the Holy spirit, the advocate, the guide residing yep. inside of us and leading and guiding and, and kind of gently correcting us along the way. And, um, I think faithfulness looks like the ability to respond and be responsive to the leadings of the Holy spirit. Right. Very good. Um, in our world, the only way to do that is to create the space in your life to hear when the spirit is speaking to you. And I think this is one of the chief kind of challenges that we have in front of us is that we live in a world that is so overwhelmed with noise and so inundated with distraction. And we are um, just drowning in comparison. And we're, we're just so overstimulated with bad news all of the time. And it has become so challenging to be able to, to hear that whisper of the spirit. And so I think in order to be faithful, which is, which is simply obedience, right? But I can't be obedient to what God is, is leading me to do if I'm not creating the space in my life to even hear what he's saying. Great. So when it comes to faithfulness, I think it's, it's understanding that it, it can't come from anywhere other than God's voice. And so if you're not hearing God's voice, how can you ever be faithful to it? Beautiful. Well said, my friend. Thank you. I appreciate you and the revelation that you carry for God's church and his people in your heart. You are, you are blessing me all over again today. Uh, last question for you. What is your prayer, your greatest prayer uh, for leaders in this season as we kind of lead in this brave new world? What's your greatest prayer right now? Yeah, well, I hope that the church, you know, continues to grow and take ground and innovate and be creative. Um, I think probably the, the simplest, most significant thing I, I'm praying and, and trying to work towards in the churches that we would uh, return to a focus on really developing the people of God and developing leaders within the church. Uh, a good friend of mine, uh, JJ, he's, he said, um, the world's greatest need is the church, but the church's greatest need is leaders. And um, I think we sometimes we make this this concept of developing people like an afterthought. It's something that we'll do after we've established the church or, or <laughs> grown the church or built the church. Developing people is not something we do after we've built the church. It's how we build the church. And so my prayer is that we would we would have a renewed commitment to developing God's people. Well said. Thanks so much, my friend. Love you a lot. Absolutely. Thanks so much for having me. For more information, check out leadingsecond.com. 
follow us on Instagram at Leading Second and join us on the Leading Second Collective on Facebook. 